Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what is just clickbait headlines. This is our regular Last Week in AI episode in which you can get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI PhDs as to what we think about these news. To start off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our takes as PhDs studying AI. Hello and welcome. This is Daniel Bashir here with Skynet Today's Week in AI. This week, we'll look at how Hulu and memers are using deepfakes, participation washing, and a new wave of ethical AI. First off, we've already seen how CGI replaced costumes and mediocre effects in entertainment, but it might soon be time that expensive actors, large crews, and studio time are phased out too. Hulu recently launched an ad to publicize the restart of sports on its TV service, featuring athletes such as Damian Lillard and Skylar Diggins-Smith. But, as Protocol reports, neither of the stars had to make it to the studio, Hulu simply faked the ad. Using deepfake algorithms that were fed images of the athletes' faces, Hulu had the faces superimposed onto body doubles. This isn't an entirely new phenomenon. State Farm used deepfakes in an ad from April, while AI video startup Synthesia provides customers the ability to produce videos without actors and film crews, an offering that has caused a 10 times growth in demand for Synthesia services since the beginning of the pandemic. Indeed, as Synthesia's COO predicts, AI may have a large impact on video production in the way that Instagram filters affected photography. As the pandemic continues and the monetary benefits of using deepfakes become clear, we might expect to see more of them on our screens in the years to come. While large video streaming services such as Hulu are beginning to explore deepfakes, so are memers. As the technology becomes more ubiquitous, it also becomes more accessible. Anyone with a computer and internet access can watch Grace Windheim's step-by-step YouTube tutorial on how to create a deepfake. The MIT Technology Review reports that Windheim and a new group of online creators are toying with deepfakes, raising new concerns about the potential for abuse of the technology. Windheim saw her opportunity to create a tutorial when she came across a deepfake meme that involved figures from Obama to Thanos singing a Japanese video game song. The algorithm that produced these memes came from a 2019 Europe's paper that allowed a user to take any video of a person's face and use it to animate a photo of someone else's face with just a few lines of code. As disinformation and propaganda become more prevalent, concerns about deepfakes are certainly valid. Windheim finds her choice to release the tutorial justified because she doesn't intend the videos to help spread misinformation and focuses the tutorials on making specific memes. While Windheim might be right that her own use isn't wrong within the context of meme culture, intentions often are not enough. Plenty of technology has been released into the wild and made accessible with horrible consequences, but a mere lack of bad intentions isn't always enough to prevent nefarious use. Perhaps Windheim's ground rules will mitigate the extent to which your videos impact the information landscape. But in general, a great deal of care is needed surrounding such potentially dangerous technology. Now, it's no secret that the field of machine learning suffers from a lack of representation. 
largely white and male, only recently has a field begun to come to grips with its lack of diversity and the danger that lack of diversity poses to the use of its research. The issues of systematic oppression and privilege that are compounded by opaque and unfair machine learning algorithms have indeed been more widely considered, thanks to the help of activists and organizers. But, as the MIT Technology Review reports, minorities and disadvantaged populations already participated in machine learning before these issues were brought to the forefront. But in many ways, this participation was extractive, focused on wringing benefit from people without offering them much compensation. For example, low-wage workers on Amazon Mechanical Turk help turn photos into training data, performing unrecognized labor that results in many of the systems we use today. Other forms of participation, even those that strive to be inclusive, can often end up being merely performative because the long-term commitment to designing products guided by people from diverse backgrounds and communities is not fulfilled. While machine learning is beginning to embrace questions of justice and equity, participation alone isn't the answer. Merely inviting people to the party isn't the same as ensuring they have a voice in final outcomes, and that their communities, ethnicities, and other groups they identify with won't be disproportionately impacted by the technology they help build. But in more positive news, we're entering a new promising wave of ethical AI. As VentureBeat notes, the most recent wave, following one dominated by philosophers, has focused on technical fixes to issues of bias. The technical considerations alone cannot fix everything. Guidelines and policy pressure are needed to ensure that profit-seeking institutions and other groups producing AI technologies do so carefully and deliberately while managing to avoid causing harm. But we are finally beginning to see practical mechanisms for rectifying power imbalances and achieving individual and societal justice. A shift towards socio-technical issues has seen the UK's Court of Appeal find police use of facial recognition unlawful, high school students protest after their marks were downgraded by an algorithmic system, and countries like New Zealand publish charters and form task forces to provide guidance for the use of algorithmic systems. These practical tools for accountability, along with the full participation of research institutes, activists, and governments, will be necessary to ensure that this progress continues. In the absence of proactive government action, it will be left to others to ramp up the pressure to ensure that decisive policy action is taken. That's all for this week's News Roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events with Andre and Sharon. Thanks, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had the summary of last week's news, feel free to stick around for a bit for a more laid-back discussion of these news by two AI researchers. I'm Sharon, a third-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis. And with me is my co-host. I am Andrei Karnkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab, advised by Silvio Savarese. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation in my research. And I think we can just go ahead and dive in. Uh, this week, we've got some fun stories to discuss, starting with a story from Protocol.com titled Hulu Deepfaked Its New Ad, It Won't Be The Last. So as you've heard, it's all about how uh, there's now new technology for producing uh, ads that seem to star people that they don't. Kind of an interesting story and a good application of deepfakes, a positive application. 
curious to hear your thoughts, Sharon. What did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, as long as people get the rights for it, and I think the company is Synthesia, that startup, as long as they get the rights for using certain people, I think it's okay, and I hope it's okay. Um, of course, we had seen that previous article about a model feeling like her job was going to be lost. Um, I think in this case, if it's a sports star, it almost it could almost be better for them. I don't know <laughs> um, that they don't have to do all the work, but they can you know critique and say like, hey, make me look better here. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think this seems like pretty much entirely a positive thing. I mean, we've seen uh, certainly movies use similar things like uh, Fast and Furious 7 had, uh, you know, the fake uh, actor replacement uh, due to a tragic death. So this sort of technology to uh, use technology to kind of paste people's faces onto actors certainly has positive applications for art and for advertising. I think it's interesting that this article notes that uh, the company has seen a 10x growth in demand since the start of pandemic, uh, possibly because production is uh, more hampered now. So yeah, I think overall, interesting development, a good uh, demonstration of how AI is perhaps growing up and being usable in real applications where before you might have had to do more cumbersome video editing techniques. Uh, of course, uh, one thing to note is as well, uh, this article notes that uh, this technology might get really democratized and will allow anyone to create videos at 100th the cost and a thousand times the speed, and that's here to stay. So all of the kind of unfortunate implications of that as far as deepfakes for politics or fake news, etc., also kind of uh, are there. So hopefully maybe this company can actually collaborate with the New York Times or some other uh, firms that are looking into how to have sort of meta info or something for actually validating uh, media and saying this is not deep fake, this is actually legitimate. Yeah, something that I've been thinking about is, you know, the internet really exploded in terms of content sharing. Um, and now there is this enormous, enor there are these enormous tools for content creation that make content creation so much easier because I think content creation was still much harder than in, than co content consumption, of course. Uh, but now it's kind of like, wow, we're really going to be, there's really going to be a deluge of content. And I think all these different apps, including TikTok, makes it really easy to create content. Synthesia will make it really easy for companies to create content. Um, there's just going to be a lot of content and GPT-3 makes it easy to create text. Like there's just going to be an even greater explosion of content. And um, I think in that sense, it does, it does make me think of that quote of there's this art of not reading as opposed to the art of reading. So the art of not reading is to make sure you only read and spend time and give your attention to things that matter. And I think that'll be harder and harder um, to sift through. Yeah, I, I wonder, I guess, uh, presumably all these technologies will enable kind of more special effects, more filters, more kind of layers on top of what people are already put, putting out there on Instagram and TikTok. 
at the same time, I think AI can't really necessarily, you know, make your content compelling or give you ideas on what to make. And such, it can be a tool for producing your content and uh, for, you know, uh, helping create it. So I think we will see a change in what people are capable of uh, with new tools. Uh, like they'll have a much easier time making special effects or making music for different circumstances. So I'm actually hopeful that we'll see more kind of kind of weirder or more produced content uh, from people with less experience. Hopefully that's more compelling rather than more kind of really boring things that we should not waste our time with, but we'll see. And on the theme of deep fakes, the next article uh, was titled Memers are making deep fakes and things are getting weird from technology review. And so this was uh, a content creator at Kapwing, the startup Kapwing, which was actually founded by uh, my friends. <laughs> uh, and uh, she basically figured out how to use deep fakes or create deep fakes. Um, and I guess things were getting weird when, when <laughs> memes were being created. Yeah, so here I guess the story was this content creator released uh, a tutorial on how to do it after learning uh, how to do it. And that led to this article that sort of highlighted a more funny or positive application of memes. Actually, if you go to the story, which I recommend, there's a really cool headline showing um, essentially how you could do this, where you can make various historical figures sort of sing. And so the article itself is quite well done, I'll say. Yeah, and it's cool to see deepfakes being used largely for creative expression. I think that is definitely an area where this technology can be used for good, uh, where it's lighthearted and people are using to using it to generate some laughs. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I'm sure... I'm sure. I mean, there are obviously uh, ethical issues uh, with it as well. Um, but what's interesting is that the deepfake hashtag in uh, the TikTok app, I believe, has already racked up more than 120 million views, which is kind of insane. And that's related to. Yeah, yeah. Looking at, at the article, it's saying that the memes are appearing on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and I can definitely see how this sort of thing would be very kind of uh, viral on TikTok or Instagram. Uh, so the, the meme itself is basically lip syncing. So you can take various people and make them lip sync to songs and, and do silly things. So as you said, now there's a whole hashtag and apparently it's already spreading. So it's not just a format, but actually kind of a, an evolving meme on the Internet curiously yeah i definitely have already seen myself in a in a game of thrones character when i i forgot which technology it was that came out a while back but uh they did have a a proof of concept tool where you could do that <laughs> and it was kind of funny yeah it's it's i think the article focuses on kind of the ethical implications of releasing a tutorial and you know there are these bad applications you've seen of deep fakes it it even originated to some extent uh, the term with applying it for 
revenge porn, a really terrible use of it that has been unfortunately kind of prevalent, or in general, kind of pasting people's faces on uh, inappropriate content. So the article highlights how as it's being democratized, there's kind of a weird boundary here where, yes, we can have these fun and, and nice applications like memes, but at the same time, other people could take the same tutorials and the same templates and do some bad stuff with them. And I'm glad to see that um, it also highlights that Wilhelm kind of thought about it and was pretty clear that the tutorials will focus on making specific templates, specific memes, and kind of try and limit the ability of people to misuse them for bad stuff. Right, definitely. Speaking about ethical implications, the next article is titled, The Term Ethical AI is Finally Starting to Mean Something, from VentureBeat. So basically, this article was about this quote-unquote third wave of ethical AI, uh, where the first two waves mainly focused on either philosophers or using technical fixes to be able to handle uh, the issues with ethics in technology um, and in AI specifically. But now it's to think about AI a little bit more holistically and uh, about how AI is impacting issues of power, justice, and equity, and that we can't just think about the technological changes that we can make to fix these systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this article is by Carly Kind, who is the direct director of the London-based Ada Loveless Institute. And it kind of comes about or, or starts off uh, by noting that there's a panel at uh, the conference COGX called the ethics panel to end all ethics panels. <laughs> and it was essentially, yeah, a reflection on all this discussion we've had about AI ethics. And uh, it, it notes, uh, the article notes, and I guess they noted in the panel that there's been so many sets of ethical principles and guidelines in the last few years. The article says between 2016 and 2019, 74 sets of ethical principles and guidelines were published. And so me as a bystander and even people working on it, I think are getting a bit tired of just having all of these ethical principles and looking to what can AI ethics actually mean in practice. And yeah, I really like this article's delineation of sort of a second wave of uh, AI ethics being efforts to actually see how AI systems that are deployed are having ethical implications. For instance, the gender shade study that pointed out that uh, IBM and Amazon and other companies had biased facial recognition software deployed. And then the, the basic pitch is that now we are in a third wave in 2020 where people are realizing that you have to think about technologies in their social context uh, and not just on their own terms. So for instance, you have to think about facial recognition in the context of the uh, racial inequality in the US. And as we use facial recognition for Black Lives Matter protest, even if a facial recognition is perfect, uh, you have to wonder about its application and so on. So yeah, I find it very a very interesting way to pose it. And certainly I am glad to hear that ethical AI has moved on from just talking about principles. How about you, Sharon? Yeah, I think it's really important to think about tech more holistically and to interleave issues of ethics 
with technology. And I've always respected people who can both build and reflect and not just do one or the other. Um, so I think it's extremely important that people now coming into the future will will be able to do both and not just be able to, but like respect doing both. Like it's not just about doing one or the other, but you need to really respect both sides. And that that's challenging. Um, since uh, I am not sure I've very much experienced that throughout my PhD, um, I've not seen much respect between the two sides. And that's been very, very interesting, I suppose. Um, very bad, I think. Uh, but I would hope to see that the next generation improves that. We'll see. Yeah, I, I think in some sense we are starting to get there. I think in Europe's uh, uh, statement of impact is one sign that sort of there is a general understanding that all researchers on AI should to some extent think about ethics and the implications of their work. Um, of course, it, it will take more time to kind of get somewhere. But I, I also like that this article notes that now in this third wave, research institutes, activists and campaigners uh, are focusing on practical tools for accountability. So for instance, audit and assessment tools, or in the context of research papers, having model cards, really specific practices we can adopt in deployment of AI and in research on AI that will help it develop in a more ethical way. Uh, so I find that very cool. And I wonder, um, Sharon, what was your experience doing the impact statement and uh, looking, I don't know if you've seen any model cards or other impact statements. Uh, what was that like? I haven't really looked through other impact statements. I I saw briefly one from NVIDIA with their latest uh, GAN model. So obviously thinking about deep fakes there. Um, but I didn't, I didn't read it very carefully, but it was very long. So um, I think I think it's good that they put that out. I, I'm good that I'm happy that NeurIPS has asked people to do it. Um, I will say from my perspective, it definitely got me reflecting a little bit, but I don't think it was a significant amount of reflection, not as much as really launching something and then having people publicly critique it. But then of course you have the risk of being canceled in cancel culture. So I think mm. I think there's a delicate balance. And I actually think cancel culture is very much related to this because right now I see two very polarized sides of this argument. And I also am not quite convinced that either of them are listening to the other and that there is some kind of cancel culture going on between both of them. And that's just, uh, I mean, that that's just, I guess this is just a microcosm of the greater like United States issues, but like, it's, it's just, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, and I think there is an ideal, but that ideal requires humans to be able to handle gray area, not just like black and white and be able to deal with nuances. And I just don't think like nuances don't instigate emotion. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, it is of anything making progress and changing way like, people are doing things will be a little bit tricky. Um, but I don't know. I guess I'm a bit hopeful that given that these campaigners and researchers in ethical AI are focused on practical tools and practices that to me, as far as I've seen, kind of have made sense and have been very sensible. I think AI researchers um, 
as they see and are exposed to these tools that they can be used to kind of arguably improve their research and make it you know better by actually assessing the ethical qualities and and seeing if they have any biases and so on i think hopefully there will be kind of coming together and it'll be easier and better for more people to to work with ethical ai and on to our last story having to do with the ethics of ai to some extent uh from venturebeat a very dramatically titled the utopian promise and dystopian potential of real-time detection of police, fire, and medical emergencies. So this is pretty interesting. It's about how there's now the automated streams analysis for public safety challenge, where there's a large data set assembled by the federal government to encourage people in computer vision community to build AI that delivers automated insights for emergency operators working with police fire and medical personnel so as the title implies the take here is that there's a bit of a utopian promise of positive outcomes where people are saved from fire and medical emergencies better and you know ai is really applied well but there's also a dystopian potential uh, where it this technology gets misused, for instance, for protests or other uh, negative applications. So first time for me seeing this automated streams analysis, public safety challenge, and sounds like an interesting data set to work with, uh, certainly. What do you make of it, uh, Sharon? I think it's a really interesting competition that kind of touches on the importance of multimodality in in applying AI to be helpful for the world, just in general, like the world is messy. It has multimodal, like not only messy data, but also multimodal data that requires handling all these different streams. And I think, um, I think in large part, people have very much isolated into their various modalities to construct custom architectures for each of them, which I think is important because it makes us understand each of these modalities better. But the coming together of them will be, I think, essential. Um, of course, there are also issues with uh, really helping the police that much. But um, I think like uh, multimodality is definitely an important area of AI that will need to be addressed if it's going to be more broadly useful. What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this article notes that uh, this new data set uh, sprinkles events like assaults, medical emergencies, and uh, fires into a series of image, audio, and text data created by the U.S. Department of Commerce's National Institute of Standards and Technology. So definitely important to be multimodal and uh, kind of unusual. Yeah, I don't think there's many data sets that are this multimodal. This sort of reminds me of a discussion we had recently about applied AI and how research should maybe be a little less theoretical and focus entirely in developing new architectures and instead maybe moving more toward actually beneficial applications. On the subject of enabling police, uh, certainly something to be aware of. I do like that the challenge 
has several contests. So the first two focus on analyzing the time, location, and nature of emergencies, while the last two aim to surface information for first responders in emergency operations centers. So uh, it seems fairly specific to these contexts and for first responders. And I do feel like maybe it's not necessarily going to be trivial to take this technology and, you know, reappropriate it to be used for something like protests or policing, hopefully. And with that, we're going to go ahead and close out this episode of Last Week in AI. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of our Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter of similar ones at scanettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show. Be sure Be to sure. tune in next week.